You're listening to a message from Pastor Kenny Garrett recorded at a live service at the General Baptist Church God's House of Prayer located in Fairborn, Ohio. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. Stand with me when you get there. Chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. We'll read one verse this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us, for the chance you've given us to assemble here, I pray that you anoint me to preach a message you've given, anoint ears to hear, hearts to understand. Draw us each closer to each other as you draw us closer to yourself. And we will never fail to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, gathered together as the people of God on Vine Street, we contemplate the question of the renewing of our minds. We might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I asked you this morning, how were you influenced? How were you discipled? Where did you get the ideas that you have today? And who are you influencing right now? The Bible teaches that being a disciple of Christ means that you are actively discipling someone else as you are being discipled. So beyond the question of how much evangelism did I do this week, we also must uh, ponder the question of how much discipling did I do this past week? How much uh, help did I give? How much instruction? Did I show people by the example that I'm living? How are you exercising your influence? If you look throughout the Bible, in in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to Timothy, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's how Christianity has spread. That's how our faith has spread. That's why we're here today. Person to person, generation to generation, on throughout the years, and here we are in 2020 on Vine Street. Now, of course, Paul talking to Timothy is evangelist to evangelist, preacher to preacher. So you might think that you get a pass, and this is This is only for me and Mark to understand this morning, Brother Jim. But the Bible is through, uh, the Bible teaches all from the very beginning all the way to the end that this is how this works. And discipling is the responsibility of every Christian. Of course, if you start here in Timothy, you look back in the Bible, uh, 
the next disciples you'll come to is, of course, Christ and the, the 12 disciples. And you must understand that while thousands heard about the miracles and came to witness them and partake and that sort of thing, there was 12 that he chose. It didn't happen by circumstance. It didn't happen that they were the only 12 standing there at the end of some event. Christ chose them, and they chose Christ, and a relationship developed. It was purposeful. They knew each other and were known by each other. Now, sure, like I said, thousands of people came for the miracles. They wanted the things of God, right? We still see that today. People are, are after God to get the things of God, the blessings, uh, financial, material things. Uh, they want those badly, and they'll come, and they'll follow, or they'll come, and they'll look, and they'll do this, and they'll do that. But these 12 were in it. They stayed, and they followed, and they learned. And within those 12, Christ pours into three Peter, James, and John more than the others. So there's, there's a purpose in this and a plan in this. You may think, well, that's Christ, right? He's Jesus. I'm, I'm who I am. It's not the same. But then you, you look back through the Old Testament, and you see that God's designed these relationships purposefully. You look at Elijah and Elisha, Eli and Samuel, Moses and Joshua. It's all one person teaching another. You get back to Deuteronomy. And what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. It talks about a discipling relationship of how we teach children. It's how we teach each other. All day, every day, our worship is turned towards Christ. Our trust is in the word of God. And we teach that and model that, especially to our children, but also those around us. And all that effort all throughout the Bible about teaching and modeling and showing, being an example, isn't set and geared towards yourself. It comes from a position of looking outward into our family, into our community, into our friends, our neighbors. The Christian is positioned to look for those opportunities to serve and direct their labor towards others. If you've been around, I guess it would have to be on a farm. I can't think of any place else hogs come to eat. But if you've Seen the hogs come into the trough? There's pushing, shoving, snorting, and they gobble up the food by the mouthful and swallow it down. Each one trying to get as much food for themselves as they can. I've not seen hogs come to a trough in a long, long time. But I've seen bulldogs come to a food bowl, and it's very much the same thing. But is that... Christianity. Now, of course, hogs and bulldogs and things of that nature don't 
have the faith and don't live the life that we do. But we can act very much like them in our faith. Is that how we visit our churches? Is that how we come together as the people of God, snorting and pushing and shoving, gobbling up and consuming all that we can while we're here? Who did you talk to last week when you were in the gathering of God's people? Where did you sit? Who did you eat lunch with? All these things give us an opportunity to know and be known to each other. That's why we put uh, such effort into the lunches after church. And we started that uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so, two years. I don't know how long it's been. But it wasn't just something else to do, and it wasn't just a, a thing to add on. Uh, it was a time for us to sit down and get to know one another and get to talk. Now, it's very easy to sit in our assigned seats and do the same thing Sunday in and Sunday out. But that's not what we're called to do as Christians. Being a follower of Christ means that you live a life that's oriented towards others just like his was. Being a servant, laboring for the sake of others. It is completely opposite from living a worldly life which is all about ourselves. We're pointed outward. We're pointed towards others. We value and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Throughout the Bible, the Christian is compared to the vine. Now, we know that the vine grows through the power of God. That we as Christians grow through the power of God. But the church and the discipling that is found in the church is the trellis to that vine. Our spiritual family provides the love and support that we need to grow in a biblical direction. It's that love and support that God has built in to what he is, is what plays out in the Bible, to what is the church that we seek after each other's welfare, that we look into the community and we're pointed towards the community through evangelism, but also discipling. And, and I'll tell you something, I touched on it last week, and I'll touch on it again this week. You cannot confuse the two, discipling and evangelism, sharing that God is real, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and that a lost person can know their creator in an intimate way. That's evangelism. That's the gospel message. Discipling is helping Christians grow in a biblical manner, in a biblical fashion, uh, towards truth and the renewing of the mind. Now, those two things are not the same. You can't disciple someone who is unsaved and doesn't know God. If you try to, it will be the most frustrating thing I promise you you've ever tried. And if you were to accomplish something, I don't even know what it is you've accomplished. Because nothing else matters until the person comes to know Christ. And then after that, discipling begins. Then after that, you have to know and be known. And the reason I keep saying that 
is you have to have permission and you have to have a relationship and you have to put effort and time into discipling. You can't just come along somebody and say, hey, this is the way you ought to do it because this is what I think, right? It's done out of love and mutual love and that stuff takes time and effort. Now, a lot of us have known each other for a lot of years. So we enjoy that relationship as it is. I can call Mark and say, hey, uh, sometimes in my uh, day in and day out, I'm pretty gruff. I know you might find that hard to believe, but I'm pretty gruff and blunt. And I can call Mark and say, hey, we need to do this. But we spent years building that relationship. And he, he gives me a lot of grace and a lot of love in, uh, in that. And he can do the same to me. Uh, there's been times where I, I often refer to Mark. Mark asked, he said, well, how come you've never really studied the Greek and Hebrew? And my honest answer was, because I got you. Right? So that there, God has built in these relationships where we're not, uh, the star of any show and that we're not uh, the end all be all and we cannot do this alone that's why we gather as a church so the last thing I'll tell you I'll leave you with a little bit of a story when you talk about discipling and the renewing of your mind obviously as a pastor it falls under my responsibility to corporately point us in the direction that we're going to go Right, As I follow God, we follow God. Um, all my life as a child, I would always hear somebody say, but you got to check it for yourself, right? You got to know it for yourself. You can't take man's word. You got to know it for yourself. And I'll take you back about a year or so ago, almost a year coming up. I had some shaking in my Jeep. It was real weird. It was very intermittent. Intermittent. It didn't happen all the time. Only under certain circumstances did that Jeep start to shake. And it felt like it was going to rattle apart. I mean, it wasn't just a small vibration. Like the, at any minute, the doors would fall off. Granny and mom would be ejected from the Jeep. The windows would fall. That's the kind of shaking I'm talking about. And like I said, it would only happen in certain circumstances. So I took it to my mechanic, a guy that I like very much, uh, very much an old school type of gentleman. He's very uh, monotone and unexcitable. I've never seen Charlie Lovely excited. And he has a big dog that roams around his shop, and I kind of like that too. And he owns Paul's Garage over on Valley Street. So I take my Jeep over to, to Charlie, and I said, Charlie, it's shaking. He said, well, let me drive it for a week and see what happens. So Charlie has my Jeep for a week and calls me and he says, it's not shaking. I said, Charlie, it's the transmission. I know it is. He said, eh, I don't know about that. I said, I'm positive it's transmission. Check everything, Charlie. I know what I'm talking about. Reality is I don't know what I'm talking about. Charlie checks everything. He cannot make it shake. And he will not fix anything because he doesn't know what to fix. And that's part of the reason I like Charlie so much is he doesn't fix things 
unless he knows that it's going to render the result that we want. So I pick it up, and he said, your horn wasn't working, so I did fix the horn. I said, okay, fair enough. And I take it. He said, no, we can put a new transmission in there if you want. It'll be about $4,000. I said, well, let me just drive it. He said, well, I might buy a new one. Charlie again gave sound advice. He said, go take a day and go to every car dealer you know. And once you, he said, you'll be in bed the next day from sticker shock. And then come back and we'll figure out what's shaking is. As we go for, as, as it moves on. I really think that the shaking come down to the emergency brake sticking. I stopped using the emergency brake. The shaking stopped completely, just as Charlie had told me. Now, I didn't sit back and become the expert while I'm dealing with Charlie. Me and Charlie had a disagreement, but I gave, I, I kind of, um, I trusted Charlie. Right, his expertise, his years of doing this. I have the right mechanic. I heeded his advice, even though I wasn't sure where we were going. And I wasn't 100% with him on the idea that it wasn't the transmission. So you, I'm sure, have been through a car repair, and when the car, when the mechanic says you need a new alternator, or you need a new this, or you need a new that. You don't say, hey, wait a minute. I'll check it for myself. And once I see what's going on, then we'll decide what we're doing. Because you trust the mechanic. If you don't, then you need a new mechanic. Right? Now, I'm not promoting biblical illiteracy here. That's, that's not the idea. Um, but you need to get with somebody that you trust to disciple you. And if I'm not that guy, then I'm not that guy. Uh, and that's okay. I, I'm, I'm adult enough to know that. Uh, but as we grow and as things like that happen, I do ask that you extend the trust that I have in Charlie Lovely over at Paul's Garage uh, because he knows what he's talking about. Uh, so I'll go with him a little while as long as everything makes sense. So as you're being discipled, by me corporately or individually by each other. Extend that same grace and that same uh, trust and know that the people around you uh, love you and support you and that they're here for your good, not just their own, that their uh, outward efforts are a labor for your benefit. When you look at pastors and preachers, mechanics or what have you, anybody who's in a position to help you out, so to speak, uh, if they're doing it for your good and your welfare, there's a trust there. If they're out for themselves, you can tell that too. Uh, and my advice is find a new one, right? So with that in mind, as we, we come to a close this morning, as a church, we have to position ourselves to be more like the trellis as we have 20 or 30 vines that are growing. Provide love and support corporately, all together, and individually. 